Today, it's the birthday of the church. Happy birthday to us. 2,000 years old. You don't look any older than 1,000 years. You're looking good. Church is looking good. I love the church. I love the church. My first experience in church happened when I was about 10. Uh, we lived in Melbourne, Australia, lived in East Preston, and there was an Anglican church there, a high Anglican. And I think this is uh, uh, as close as you can get to being a Catholic, but still being a Protestant. It was high Anglican. We had all the robes and the guy that would walk around with his handbag on fire and everything, everything would happen. And uh, that was my first church experience. I was, a, I was an altar boy. Can you imagine that? I mean, a little white thing with carrying the candle and not burning anything. I successfully did it without burning too much stuff. And, and then uh, years later, I, I got saved into a large church. It was a Christian Outreach Center. I didn't get saved into the church. I got saved at the church. A Christian Outreach Center in Brisbane, Australia. At, at that point, it was the largest church in Australia. And they're having a move of the Holy Spirit. And it was just a powerful time to get in to the kingdom of God, saw God do great miracles. Moved from there, this mega church, this large church, largest church in Australia, to a little tiny church in Whangarei, New Zealand, uh, with Pastor Don McDonnell. It's like a family church. I think there's like 50 to 60 people. And uh, you may have heard me talk about the worship team. It was nothing like what we have here. It was a, it was a Casio keyboard about this big that a guy played, and he plugged it into a tape recorder, a tape deck, and it came out the speaker and then Barry would be on the, the, the acoustic guitar. I played drums. That's not a good sign. And I played drums and because they didn't want the drums to be loud, they didn't have a cool prison like that. They, they made you put uh, blankets over the drums and the cymbal. So the whole drum sound it was just terrible. Uh, that, was, that was my next church experience. And, and then moved from there. And, and uh, I, I, got, I don't care what, how big it is or how small. I love the church. I think the church is brilliant. I, I, I love the church. I have a passion for the church. I, 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 we have a great church here, uh, but there are great churches all around Virginia. There's great churches in our city, in our community, in our nation, around the world. We are a part of the church, and it's our birthday. Happy birthday to us. I love it. You know what I love about the church? That God brings us together. That outside the church, probably we would have no connection. We would never have got to meet. Our backgrounds, uh, where we live, our, our demographics, our, our hobbies, our habits, our lifestyle, we'd probably never get to meet. We'd never get to meet each other. But God brings us together as this beautiful thing called the church. I love it. It's so awesome. Now, I know it's not perfect. There's no perfect church that I've been to. Well, it may have been perfect until I arrived, and then it became imperfect. Um, I messed it up. Maybe this was a perfect church before I got here, but I would presume it stopped being perfect as soon as you got it, because we're imperfect people. But God brings us together in this wonderful thing called the church, and we celebrate its birthday today. In Acts chapter 2, verse 14 to 16, it says... <clears throat> But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it's but the third hour of the day. That's going to be one of my, I think that's one of the funniest scriptures ever. Do you, do you see the funny side of that? 
Like he's like, these guys aren't drunk. It's too early. Come back later. No, that's what but then in verse, verse 16, he says, but this is that. Everyone say, but this is that. But this is that, which was spoken by the prophet Joel. We're going to do a two-part series today on kingdom builders. Thank you, sir. You're a wonderful man. That is awesome. We do a two-part two series called Kingdom Builders. This is that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that it's alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword goes in, penetrates, changes us from the inside out. Today, as we celebrate the birth of the church, we pray that you would revitalize your church. We pray for a refreshing revitalization here at Word of Life. Lord God, we thank you for what you've already done over these past few months. That God, our expectation is high. Lord God, we are believing that we're going to see this building full, Lord God, multiple times on a Sunday. We believe, Lord God, that we're going to have services in multiple languages. Right now in four, but Lord God, we see you adding more. Lord God, we we see you adding people daily to your kingdom. And so God, use us. We humbly want to serve you, Lord God, but we want to be used by you. We want to be used by you to see this nation change and get in the right direction. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. I, I flew in yesterday. I got back into town last night and we'd been in Chicago. My middle daughter, Chloe, you may have met them, Chloe and Greg were here a few months ago, and Chloe is uh, having her baby next month. I think she's like five weeks away or something from the birth of her first baby, little Luca, a little, a little boy, and uh, we did the baby shower yesterday. Well, I think we got a photo of the scan that they did. There he is. This is, this is little Luca in the womb getting ready to be granddad's next workout partner. But we were at the baby shower yesterday and one of the little cards that they put on the table were uh, make your predictions. Like what date do you think the baby's gonna be born? And how heavy do you think the baby is gonna be? Whose eyes will it have? What characteristics as we try to anticipate? Because you can, you can see the scan, you can't really work it out until the child is born. And as soon as the child is born, you start taking measurements. You start checking it out to find out what the child is like. Now, how it's born is not how it stays. Our first grandson, little Marcus, is now nearly two. And he's just awesome running around. And he would, we saw him as the scan. Now we're seeing him grow up to be a beautiful young man. And so you have an anticipation of what the child is going to be like, but you have no real idea until the child is born. Now, Acts chapter one is like the ultrasound. It's like the ultrasound of the church. You've got 120 people that have gathered together in one place, in one mindset, in one accord. And we know who some of them are, the disciples, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, some of Jesus' family, some hanger-on, some friends that were there. Uh, we know Justice and Matthias were there. So a group of people that had gathered together and Jesus had spoken to them and he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. 
Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the outermost parts of the earth. This is, this is the mission. Advance the kingdom of God. But before you go everywhere, I don't want you to go anywhere. I want you to sit and wait. I want you to sit and wait until you're endured with power from on high. Something supernatural is going to happen. We are, there's going to be a change. We're going from Old Testament to New Testament, Old Covenant to New Covenant, Jerusalem to the church. We're, we're, there's going to be a, a change. And so you need to set yourself aside. And so they do that, not really knowing what was going to happen. Just go and wait. What are we waiting for? Well, just wait. Yeah, but what are we waiting for? To you endure with power from on high. Well, well what, does that, what does that mean? Well, it means you're going to be endured from power from on high. Well, what does that even look like? Yeah, I'm not giving you the details. I don't know if you notice that about God, that he will give you a vision, but very rarely give you the details. I think sometimes because if he gave us the details, we'd probably quit. Like he didn't give Joseph the detail when he gave him a dream that he'd be great one day. Definitely didn't give Mary the detail about Jesus going to the cross when he gave her the original plan for the Holy Spirit to impregnate her. And so God will often leave out the deep. So these guys just get like a, a, an overview. That, you know, we, we don't really know what's happening, but the only thing we're sure of is that we're going to commit our lives to the kingdom of God. We're going to commit our lives to advancing your kingdom plan. And so we're going to go and we're going to wait. And like the uh, generation that dedicated themselves to establishing God's kingdom in the Old Testament when uh, Moses was given the uh, pattern for the tabernacle, these men and women too had dedicated themselves to being kingdom builders. And then it says in Acts chapter 2 verse 1 to 4, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is the day of Pentecost and it's the birth of the church. It's a history changing moment and a group of people gathered together waiting on God to say, God, we don't really know where this is all going. We don't really know what this church is going to look like. But God, if you're in it and your hands on it, we want to be a part of it. God, we want to go on the journey with you. The church was born on that day. How many people are glad that the church was born that day, 2,000 years ago? And so from this passage, when this is born, this is like, this is like a newborn. This is the baby's just popped out and you're looking at it. And, you know, we usually look at the baby and say, oh, isn't the baby beautiful? No newborn baby looks beautiful. They always look like an alien. And, but, and maybe this is sort of how the church looked when it was born. It's it, it just getting going. <clears throat> no one really knowing how it's all going to take place. But there's some characteristics here in, in the birth of the church that we can take note of and I think maybe apply directly to our life. And here's the first characteristic of the church. It was unified. It was a unified church. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 says, they were all together in one place. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. Get 120 people together in one place. That's a miracle. 500 were invited. 380 had something better to do. 
500. Jesus personally appeared. People are like, what do you got to do to get people in church? I'm like, I don't, I've heard all the methods. I've heard all the tricks. But I'm like, hey man, Jesus died on a cross, rose from the dead, personally appeared to people. Hey, this is me. I was alive and then dead and now I'm alive forevermore. Look at the scars in my hand. See, now I want you to wait. In Jer- 500 people invited and 380 after that invitation, like, uh, we'll check it out online. She's like, online's not invented. We'll just wait. 380 people had something better to do. What, what, what a, what a do- wouldn't you feel like a doofus if you were a part of the 380 and you missed the day of Pentecost because you had kids sport or something? Like you missed that. Because you thought, ah, I'm sleeping in today. What a, you miss that moment. You miss history. It's a miracle that these people got to be together. And people are always going to find a reason not to be in church. They say the average Christian in America right now goes to church once every four weeks. That's the average. Not once a week. Once every four weeks is the average American Christian. Why? Because we've got better things to do those other three weeks of but I, and, and people say, well, oh, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. That technically, that's right. You, you, don't get, you don't get saved because you are going to church. You get saved by the blood of Jesus. But he hasn't called you just to be a Christian. He called you to be the church. The church is made up of Christians. But he hasn't called us just to be Christians. He's called us to be the church. He didn't say, I'll build my Christians and the gates of hell will not prevail. He said, I'll build my church, my ecclesia, I build my church and the gates are, there's something powerful that happens when we come together. Why do you think the enemy wants to try to keep us apart? Now I've heard a lot of people talking about, well, the church is never going to be mega again since they're on the side of pandemic, mega churches are done for, you know, it's never going to be large again. It's just going to be all small churches. And I think to myself, you have a bad memory or something? Did you forget 2020? How messed up we all were when we were locked down and couldn't be in church? Do you know how bad it was? How divided the kingdom of God was when everybody sat at home and just watched it online? The church worldwide suffered in isolation. It's not good, the Bible says, for man to be alone. God didn't create you to be an individual on your own. He created us to be together. And when he got 120 people together in one accord, in one place on the day of Pentecost to birth the church, he could have breathed on them individually. They could have been walking down the street on their own. Boom! Baptism of the Holy Spirit and their life could have been changed. But God gathered them together in one place, in one mindset, at one time. And then he filled them with the power of the Holy Spirit. We we are better together than we are on our own. Now, Christianity deals with our inward life. It changes with us from the inside, but then it compels us to have an outward life. Christianity is first an individual matter. It's about us and about our heart change, but then it becomes a social matter. Tongues of fire fell upon them individually, but they were called to do things corporately. Hebrews, Paul wrote, he says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Paul's like, listen, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together and get together and encourage each other. Don't just rock up and then go home. Don't turn up late and leave early. 
Come and be a part of the family of God. Get to meet people that you've never met before. Get to talk to people and hear their story and be inspired by their story. This church is full of unbelievable stories. If you've never talked to Pastor Fahad and Shanaz and heard their story, to hear their story will inspire you. Shanaz was locked in jail in Iran with a hundred other ladies in her cell. Is that right? And all the other ladies were in there for murder. Don't mess with Shanaz. She has connections. You just need that information so you don't mess with her, so you don't end up missing church one week. We find your ankles buried in the Shinaz's connections. But when you hear their story on how their faith brought them through that, it inspires you. You know, I, I was having a, a bit of a hard time the other day and I, started to, I felt myself going to a little bit of a pity party. Oh, why is me? This is tough. And then my mind just said to my, just her story came back to my mind. I'm not in jail with a hundred murderers. Today's a good day. Today's a good day. That's stirring people up for good works. This is what the church is all about. I, I, I love the church. Christianity demands we live out the fruits of the Spirit, but the fruits of the Spirit are only lived out through the community with other people. Through the Spirit is love. But love's not just for you. Love is for you to give out to other people. Joy. It's good to be joyful, but your joy should be infectious to the world around you. God just didn't fill you with joy to make you happy. He filled you with joy to be infectious, to bring joy in a community where people lack joy. When we come together on Sunday morning and you guys engage in praise and worship, it lifts the room. It lifts the room. My praise and worship on a Sunday morning is not just about me praising. I want the people around me to feel that joy and feel that energy and enter into the presence of God as well. We are the body of Christ. We are empowering each other. So Christianity is about God's power in us, working through us to impact the world around us. The unattached church or the unattached Christian is impossible. God has created us to be the church. Here's another characteristic. It was an obedient church. The Bible says, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a rushing mighty wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. They were obedient. They were sitting and waiting on something that they had no idea that was going to happen, how it was going to happen. A little bit like the guys marching around Jericho, just given a command. That's what faith is. Faith is sometimes just trusting God. God, we don't know where all this is going to go. We don't know how it's all going to work out, but we're going to take a step of faith. We're in that season now at Word of Life. God's called us to do some great things. We're going to re-carpet. We're going to put new chairs in. We're going to repaint the auditorium. We're doing things up. We're getting ourselves prepared, not just for us, but for the harvest that's coming in, not just now, but the years to come. We're looking 20 years down the track, 30 years should Jesus tarry. What are we setting up today for the generations that are coming up after us? We're sitting in the results of a generation that came before us that set this up for us. You're sitting in the things that they provided for you. And now God calls us to provide something for an emerging generation, looking for our grandchildren, our grandchildren's children's children, looking down the generations. So how's it all going to happen? Ah, we're just stepping out by faith and having a go. I, I love the fact that Abraham stepped out in faith and the Bible says he had no idea where he was going. Where are you going, Abraham? I don't know. Going for a walk. Where to? I'm going in faith. But where? 
I don't know, wherever God leads. That's, I think that's what makes the journey exciting. Anybody live that faith life? You like that faith life? It's scary. It's scary, but it is worth it. It's a spirit-filled church. Verse 3, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone say filled. Filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were filled with the Spirit. They were filled with the breath of God. These people gathered together, just waiting. They probably only had one song. Probably a Russell Frager song. You're not that old. You look it, but you're not that old. No, you don't. He doesn't look it. Botox has done miracles. It's, it's, um, but they probably had limited resources. They're hanging out, trusting. And then all of a sudden, they were filled. They were filled. Just this group of people. Nothing spectacular. We saw how they responded to the death of Jesus. Some of them have a pretty bad track record of responding badly. We see some of their characteristics in the, the Gospels. This is not like rocket scientists. This is not like the, the elite, the cream of the crop of society. This is a group of people, just normal, everyday people. And then God <laughs> breathed on them. And all of a sudden, they went from being a group to being the church. So whenever God breathes, life happens. See, people like, they, they've tried to criticize the church. They've tried to pull the church down. They've tried to stop the church. They tried to stop it in China. It went underground and exploded. You cannot stop the church. Why? Because it's God breathed. Wherever God breathed, life happens. God took a, a man, created, sorry, a clay, and breathed into his nostrils. The Bible said he'd become a living being, a living spirit, man. This is who we are. You and I are a result of that life, just multiplying and multiplying. And we're heading towards the 8 billion mark in the world right now of man just growing and growing and growing. Why? Because God breathed on us. We're not getting extinct. We're growing and going because God breathed in the nostrils of clay. Wherever God breathes, life happens. God spoke to a prophet. He said, look at the army. They're like dead, dry bones. Prophesy breath prophesied breath into the bones and he prophesied breath into dried out, sinuous, skinless, muscleless bones and it rose up as a mighty army because wherever God breathed, supernatural things happen. Paul's writing a letter to Timothy. Hey, Timothy, how are you doing? Here's some thoughts, here's some ideas. And he didn't know that while he was writing that, God was like, breathed on him and it became the Word of God. And the Word of God is not some textbook. It's alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It gets into your life and changes you from the inside out. You read the Word of God. It's reading you more than you're reading it. And then he says, my Word will never return void. Why will the Word never return void? Because it's God-breathed. It's full of the life of God. It's full of the breath of God. We are the church. We've been infilled with the Holy Spirit. If you're starting to run out of joy and you're starting to run out of life and you're starting to just do the motions and it's turning up to church and you've lost your passion, I want to encourage you. It's time to get filled with the Holy Spirit all over again and cry out, God, breathe on me. Pour your fire in me. Pour your presence in me. Revive your church again. Breathe on us, God. That should be our cry of the Holy Spirit. It was a relevant church. Verse 8 says, How is it that we hear each of us in 
his own native language. Verse 11, right at the end, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Here are all these devout Jews coming for the day of Pentecost, and they've come from different backgrounds. The elite, the poor, the people that are popular, the Cretans in here were, were a group of people that people made fun of. They are a byword if you wanted to insult somebody. So these groups of people get together, all different backgrounds, and all of a sudden they hear the wonderful things of God in a language that they understand. Like we get this. We didn't get the Pharisees. We didn't get the Sadducees with all their rules and regulations and all their tithing on mint and cumin and all that stuff. We didn't get that. We didn't understand that. But we now, see, that, sh that should be the church. We should be relevant. We should be able to communicate Jesus in a way that every generation understands. Now, we have multiple language services here. We're translating this service. But the children of those people that need that translation are going to grow up in America. They're going to grow up differently than their parents grew up. It's a different generation. And then their grandchildren are going to be even further away. So the church needs to stay on point with reaching people where they're at. And that's, that's our goal. It's not to get bogged down in a time zone. Now, church history will teach us that that's our, that's our habit, to get bogged down in a time zone and to ordain that time zone as the holy thing. As I said, when I got saved, I got saved in an Anglican church, dressed up, hymn music with, with organs and a hymn choir. And I remember my dad bringing a snare drum to church for Christmas and playing the, the little drummer boy on the snare drum in the church at the Anglican church on Christmas. And they freaked out. You bring in that blasphemous instrument into the house of God. Plant. And they were just freaking out. Why? Because that generation didn't understand it. Another, and they were losing people. It wasn't like it was a big church. Because people like me were coming and going, we don't connect with anything you're doing here. I would not be here if my mum and dad didn't force me. They drug me. Just behind, drug me to church. And then, I, then I, when I came back to God at Christian Outreach Center, we were singing all the songs in E minor. Everything was in a minor chord. And if you were a really good song leader, you could, you could join all the songs together. That was the skill. You knew you had an anointed song leader. If you could join, and the good thing about song leading back then is you didn't even need to be able to sing to be a song leader. I song led in our church. That's how bad it was. But if you could bring them all together, in him we live and move and have a being. Make a joyful horse and do the whole. And they did action songs, which I just can't stand action songs, you know. And, and, and then when, when the music started to change, all that generation that had enshrouded that in holiness was like, oh, I don't like this. Every, every generation has a struggle. But the beauty about the Holy Spirit is if we just stay fresh and alive in the Holy Ghost and flow with Him and trust Him, He'll take us into new seasons so we can communicate the gospel in a way that people will understand. People need to understand the gospel. Here's another point. It was a criticized church. It was a criticized church. Verse 12, and they were amazed and perplexed saying, 
to one another, what does this mean? We're not getting it. Then verse 13, others mocking said they are filled with new wine. There's never been a generation of the church that hasn't been criticised by the church. The only difference with our generation today is we see their criticism more frequently because of social media. But, but unless you're on, not on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or YouTube, you can't really escape anywhere today where someone's not attacking the church over something. They're not attacking us yet in droves. I'm sure we have critics. I'm sure there's somebody who doesn't like me. And if that's you watching today, knock yourself out. There have been multiple people in my life that have not liked me. You're not alone. You could form your own club. You could have cookies together and coffee. You could take pictures of me and stab the face with them. And I wouldn't care. Why? Because I'm not listening to the critics. I've learned, you listen to the critics, you end up becoming one. I've met so many bitter, critical, angry, against the church, angry at everybody. I want, I want to encourage you, don't be like that. Don't let somebody else's smallness rob you of dreaming for big things. Don't let somebody's smallness. I watch them criticize all sorts of people, pulling out names and attacking and taking their sermons and dividing it up into little increments and look at this, look at this. Like, yeah, you, you could do that with the message of Jesus. It's like, you could do that. Look at me. All you people that do that, you could do that with a message of Jesus. Taking your model, we would say that Jesus told us to hate parents. If you just took a little bit of his sermon, you could, you could build a foundation and say, see, Jesus said we should hate our parents. Well, take it in context. Take it in the whole context of the word of God. But when you narrow things out, this is a small, I want to encourage you, don't let that get into your spirit. Don't let it rob you. Don't chase the critics. Don't chase the analysts. Stay in faith. Believe God. Forget into the word of God and know the word of God for yourselves. And don't let your faith be hijacked by critics. Don't let your faith be hijacked by gossips. Don't allow your faith to be hijacked by the armchair experts that have never built anything. Don't listen to somebody online who has no fruit. Criticize people who've got great fruit. Don't invite me to come and help you do your garden because I'm not a gardener. If you can grow fruit, that's awesome. I can't grow natural fruit. So I'm not going to criticize your garden when I can't grow a garden myself. And that's the same as the church. Don't criticize somebody else's ministry if you've never built something yourself. And if your only ministry is to criticize everybody else, that's a pretty horrible place to be. Come on, let's be real. Let's be real. Can you imagine Judgment Day? The person's walking along, they're dead. And they wake up. The pearly gates. And they come and stand before God. And God said, what did you do with everything I gave you? Well, I had a blog. And I pointed out everybody else's fault. <laughs> and God will just go. It's the exits over. Go and hang out with all the other people that spent their whole life criticizing other people and scoop up your little bowl of ash together 
and leave these people over here with the gold, silver, and precious stones alone. Some of that's like a nervous clap. That was like a nervous clap. I'm not going to critique you on your clap. That was a brilliant clap. Unbelievably fantastic. <laughs> uh, let me just give you a couple more thoughts. I, I, have, I have more points here than a barbed wire fence today, so I'm going to um, just give you a couple more. It was a team church. I love that. It was a team church. Peter stood up with the 11. Church is never about our own. This is not John Morgan's show. We're a team. We're a team. We have great pastors. I love our pastors. We've got some of our pastors standing, sitting in the front row. We've got great pastors and leaders. We've got great deacons in our church. In fact, I did a deacon meeting. We're making some changes in our school. And one of the gentlemen from, uh, that was working, walking us through the changes, not a part of our church, uh, but was at the deacons meeting and sat through it. And at the end of the deacons meeting, when we, when we went offline, he turned to me and he said, I've never seen people that in unity. He said, this is the best deacon board. He said, I've been saved a really long time, and I've never met a deacon board so friendly, so nice, so godly, and so in unity. I just thought that was awesome. That deserved a massively bigger clap than you just gave them. Our, 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 our deacons navigated the church through the passing of Pastor Kova, the election of a new pastor, through the pandemic, and brought us to today. Our deacons have walked tirelessly and, and faithfully. And I, I think right now we should probably just give them a standing ovation. Maybe, maybe we could do that. Maybe we could stand and give them a clap and let them know that we love them and we appreciate them. They've kept our finances together. They've kept our bank balance strong. They've made sure that... These are men and women that lay down there, our trustees that help with the building. We've got a great team of people, our volunteers that come, that are out in the lobby, our children's ministry people that are out there serving today. Yesterday, a group of ladies have taken girls away in our girls' ministry for a camp and are training and developing them, our young people that will serve tonight, those people that have been here already today, the people in the sound booth and the video team, the, the people that clean the building. It's a team. We are the church. We are the body. We are the body of Christ. You can, you can be seated.